the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com. And now here's your host, Steve Teal. I want to just welcome you as we are going to listen to part two of my interview with my mom and dad, my dad, a Vietnam War hero. We will talk about how God rescued him, how prayer works, about the prayer of his saints, and you will be encouraged and inspired. So let's check in as we talk with my mom and dad, Ken and Barbara Teal. Well, um, we're going to come back to you, Dad. Keep on interjecting, especially if you've got some correlation with the timeline. Obviously, we want to hear more of uh, your story. And then I want to ask Mom, uh, you mentioned in the prayer works that you wrote. And you wrote that, you know, I want to say about 21 or 22 years ago, Mom. And even 21 or 22 years ago, you said that there were 17 or 18 requests for Major Teal, Kathy's dad, Mrs. Teal's husband, Steve's daddy. So, um, yeah, it seems to be a number that's really stuck in your head. So, Right. And it, uh, you talk about, uh, tell us about the Tuesday evening men's Bible study. And then, Dad, I don't know if you're able to correlate with Tuesday. Obviously, these prayers are not always, I mean, these prayers all matter, and they're all working together. But um, it'd be interesting to see if what correlation what you were going through. But, Mom, can you tell us about the Tuesday evening men's Bible study prayer? Okay. That was, um, I went to the women's group uh, that Tom Moan led. Oh, I think I go on Tuesday. Went on Tuesday mornings. Okay. And then he would have the same Bible study that night for the men. Oh, okay. And um, afterwards, I heard about the men's that he was giving the talk, his little teaching. And halfway through it, he stopped and said, "Wait, wait, just a minute." I, we have really got to be in prayer. I don't know what it is or who it is, but we've got to stop and really be in prayer for somebody. And then as they paused to be in prayer, he said, oh, I know who it is. It's Kenny Teal, and he's in Vietnam, and he's in a lot of danger. And um, so they prayed for that. And then later, and I cannot, I have no idea what happened to it, but one of my friends was at that prayer meeting and was tape recording the talk and oh. tape recorded the prayers for death. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. What friend is that, Mom, or who was that? Do you remember? David Givens. Okay. Okay. David 
Givens. Okay. Uh-huh. G-I-B-E-N-S. Okay. All right. Well, um, I know you're going to tell us about Grandma Elkins and her prayer at some point, but uh, Dad, can you just, it doesn't have to be correlated, but can you kind of walk us through some That's of pretty close. Okay. Uh, once Bill had joined us, there were, uh, there's, our Air Force does a great job on uh, search and rescue, and they had tried to arrange uh, rescue pick him up on actually on that late afternoon evening, but they'd suffered a uh, number of aircraft had been shot down in the area, and they simply had to defer. And what they do is they organize uh, teams which would consist of oh maybe two to four fixed wing aircraft, A1E Sky Raiders that would fly suppressive fire, and then. Typically, a two-army helicopter uh, lift would be available to come to the ground pickup while uh, they were supported. But they couldn't do that on mm. uh, on that particular time because it had been too hot, too many losses already. Mm. And so uh, we discussed, my counterpart and I, we talked about what our plan was from where we were. We knew we were going to be... Uh, pretty well exposed on where we were to enemy artillery and uh, that we needed, Bill had already called in airstrikes and we thought, well, we could try to cross. There was a river that uh, was a very significant point that if we could infiltrate and get across the river, we could take advantage of the disruptions that Bill's airstrikes had brought in and we could go ahead and advance across the river and make our way farther south. Uh, and so the decision was made that Bill, we were certainly, uh, we said, you need to go with us. And, of course, he was very than happy than that uh, rather than, and with us, when I say we had a very yeah. small advisory team. My assistant was Captain Joe Berkson yeah. and another assistant, uh, First Lieutenant Steve Nahe. Uh They had been with me a very short time, but really very solid, solid, solid soldiers. Yeah. And we began moving then in darkness toward uh, to advance. But it turned out we ran into a bit of an ambush, had some machine gun fire that caused us to get fragmented uh, to include the command group, uh, uh, my counterpart, his deputy, his uh, operations officer and others. We got separated. And uh, we wound up then after, I guess, Joe and Steve had really laid down quick suppressive fire that knocked out a machine gun that was uh, you know, only, I don't know, 10 or 15 yards away from us that we, at night then, we hunkered down uh, on, the, on the north bank of this river to find a, kind of collect ourselves and get reoriented and make a plan about what was going to be next. Okay. And Bill, in this time then, uh, he was in communication with the Air Force Search and Rescue Operations people, and we talked about then uh, an air evacuation they would try to arrange on the following day. And during that night, we could Bill could call in some airstrikes. We could hear tank engines as they would... The NBA would crank up their engine during the night, just keep the batteries charged and that sort of stuff. And okay. we pretty much thought that trying to cross the river was not going to be the best course of action. And Joe had been classed, he told me he'd been 
classed in ranger school as a weak swimmer, so I didn't want to take any chances with that. And so our decision was we would try to backtrack through that jungle area to where we could get into a, a suitable area for uh, the search and rescue people to come make a lift off. So during that night, uh, uh, that night is when we began our exfiltration, and I would move off, oh, I don't know, 100 meters or so through the jungle till I knew I had a little safe route. Then I'd go back and get our guys and bring them to where I was, and then I'd go off one more time to try to find a a path through that area can, and can, then go back and get them. And then, can, yeah, yeah. Can you explain? I mean, what? How do you go a hundred yards at a time? I mean, well, I would, I would lead my, I, my little group really right. was Joe and Steve, my advisory team, Bill Jankowski, the, the Ford Air, Air Controller. Yeah. We had a two Vietnamese with us. One was uh, the interpreter that had been assigned, and the other was a. Uh, uh, well, it's classified. Anyway, another Vietnamese. He was okay. a laborer that was assigned to put, help us with toting stuff, build, helping us build bunkers and that sort of stuff. Okay. So I would find a, a what was seemed to be a relatively safe place for them to remain while I went by myself to try to find, okay, where's the next safe place that we could get on our way trekking out through the area so the, and then the, once i found yeah. out i'd come back and yeah lead them to where i had been and then i would go off to find another leg right. of the journey to get back into where we could be be lifted and, and then okay the Dad, when we found i could find there was a away from the wood line of the jungle where we could there was actually a, a burial ground yeah. Uh that we went to and uh hid in. We were not under direct observation, but we could have been. Uh, but so we stayed low during that period until uh, uh air rescue could be arranged to come in that that okay. following af- that afternoon. So yeah. that was that's probably fairly close to the time that your mom is in her okay. Monday Bible study. Yeah. Because we're, remember, we're 12 hours ahead of her. Right, right. And uh, so it's Tuesday for us. And Okay. And, uh, Dad, uh, I'm just trying to get a little bit better picture. Um, so when you're going 100 yards at a time, are you crawling? Are you walking? What, no, how? I'm walking very okay. stealthily. Is, I'm walking. Okay. And we're walking very stealthily. We don't want to make any noise. We don't want to. We want to be alert. Uh, to any enemy positions because we knew that they had enemy on that side of the river as well. That's what we had encountered initially that had caused us to get fragmented from uh, the main body of the ranger group command group. Okay. Okay. No, we're not doing low crawl. We're trying to make haste because we wanted to get there while it was still darkness Okay. to where we could get into a... uh, where we could conceal ourselves in a open area that would be possible for helicopters to get in. Okay. So we we were trying to make haste as much as we could while still being very stealthy and not make noise or not be observed or right. encounter any enemy. Right. Okay. Wow. Uh, and I I just want to back up real quick because there's a lot more to the story, so I want you to keep going, but. 
um, just thinking back to when you got to the river and you realized um, that Joe was classified a poor swimmer. Um, I feel like, I, I mean, I feel like a lot of people would have said, well, just try the best you can, Joe, rather than going back through. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just think it's amazing that, you know, as a group, you said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not, I mean. Well, yeah, and, and the principal thing is we knew there were very significant enemy forces on the south side of the river. Uh, okay. If we'd even. Oh, okay. You, know, you don't know exactly what you're going to run into on the south side of the river. On the north side of the river, uh, we'd already encountered some, but it was not like going through a, uh, uh, a tank regiment or something like that. I mean, but wow. we knew there were large, large forces on the south side of the river. Uh, Bill had observed those while he was calling in airstrikes on them during the daylight. Oh yeah, uh, and we didn't know we didn't know exactly the depth of the river. Uh, and so the chances of crossing that into we had a better shot at getting a a rescue done uh, by heading back generally through the direction that we had come. Okay. Okay. All right. So you you find this uh, landing area, which is a burial ground area. Well, the burial or- ground, you know, some gravestones there, and then adjacent to it, a flat area that would be possible for helicopters to land. And uh, there were wooded areas around it, but they were at a sufficient distance uh, that perhaps uh, with air suppression, even if the enemy had come up to that area, we would still be able to get in and out. Okay. All right. So uh, do you want to tell us about that, or is it time to check well, with... The, yeah. the, that lift, uh, aircraft came in, laid down suppressive fires uh, around any of that immediate area that could observe us. Two helicopters landed. I sent Joe Berkson and the two Vietnamese onto the lead. Uh, took Steve Nahey and uh, Bill Jankowski and myself. We loaded up on the other one, and uh, this, the the really the tragic part of this is mm-hmm. uh, the pilots were incredibly brave, both of them, all of these air crews. Uh, but instead of breaking the way that uh, we had wanted them to do, which would have avoided uh, the bulk of the enemy forces, they lifted off and were overflying the river and the enemy forces that were south of the river. And really tragically, they really worked to gain altitude rather than flying treetop level, which had become pretty much the practice up in with air defenses of the NBA. You pretty much had to go uh, uh, treetop level on helicopters. And so as we were climbing, I think it was Bill Jankowski that was trying to bang on the co-pilot and pilot uh, in our aircraft, trying to tell him to get low and to go a different way. But uh, what we could see, uh, Joe's helicopter got struck by a surface-to-air missile. We could see it uh, disintegrate and fall to the ground. And it was real clear that there were not going to be any survivors of Joe's helicopter. Yeah. And our helicopter got hit by machine gun fire. 
and now pilots were very skillful in being able. There's a process known when a helicopter loses the power of its engine, the helicopter pilot can still do what's called auto rotation okay. and maintain some lift to get yourself some distance. And so our helicopter was able to get some distance away from where we'd been struck and where Joe's helicopter went virtually straight down. And so we did what was a controlled crash landing into a rice paddy Mm. in hostile territory. And uh, so Mm. there we waited for some time while... Uh, our aircraft had, of course, reported that one was down and that they were down. And uh, there was a helicopter pilot. There was a former uh, one of the bases that had been uh, U.S. base of the 101st Airborne Division before they redeployed is where uh, assets had been pulled up to help, particularly helicopter assets had been pulled up to try to help with uh Operations the North attack helicopters to try to go after enemy tanks and uh, other other you know scout aircraft. Everybody trying to find where the enemy was and make uh, to hold defenses. Really, the whole objective of this by this time was to keep the NDA, which had already taken the city of Quang Tree, was to keep them from advancing and being able to take. Uh, the capital city of Hway. Uh That was the big effort, was to build a defensive line uh, that would stop that. Okay. And so anyway, that's funny, as you've talked with, that we talked with a lot of the participants and that the different perspectives on exactly how that next phase of the rescue made. But uh, I, my, my belief is that I have it you know, you are how you are. You know your story is right. <laughs> uh, my belief is that it was a lone pilot in a light observation helicopter who happened to be flying in that area, heard the mayday, and found us. And his little helicopter was, the max capacity really is four people. Yeah. There was only one helicopter pilot. He didn't have anybody with him. And my recollection firmly and my notes of that time and what I had passed to your mom and when I finally was able to telephone her is that uh, all seven of us that had been on this Huey, there was a pilot, a co-pilot, a crew chief, and a door gunner, and then the three of us, myself, Steve Nahe, and Bill Jankowski, uh, we crowded in and on that helicopter until that helicopter pilot was able to generate enough power uh, to lift off. Uh, And initially he couldn't. It was way, way underpowered for that load that he was carrying. So the door gunner and the crew chief had brought their machine guns with them from the uh, down Huey. They tossed those. They tossed. There was some other stuff that was in the light observation helicopter. Anything that could be jettisoned was jettisoned and the guy miraculously, in my opinion, was able to generate the power to get us lifted off. And uh, uh, when you talk to Bill Jankowski, he's got a different perspective. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Steve Nahe's perspective is different. The co-pilot of the Huey, his perspective is different. 
I wonder how anybody ever gets an eyewitness account of anything. <laughs> yeah. But my my firm recollection is that little helicopter managed to get us to safety at one of these former Army bases where the uh, helicopter, the aviation battalion, had their temporary headquarters and where we rendered our reports and had to sadly, uh, along with the Huey people, tell the aviation guy that there was there were not going to be any survivors of that Joe's helicopter that had been hit by uh, that yeah. hit by the missile and it disintegrated and went straight down. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about Joe and his daughter Lauren in just a minute. Um, but, uh, and I know I don't, the marksman is uh, brilliant over here. I don't know if he's put up some of the pictures or not while we've been talking. I don't see them, but marksman is on it. And I know there'll be one of, uh, you and meeting us in Hawaii, right? Is that what you said? Yeah, that was an earlier oh, one. That, that was, was okay. on my first tour okay. when you guys were very small. Right. And that was, I uh, had been in it. I was an advisor with, uh, fifth. Infantry Division at the Republic of Vietnam, and oh, sometime eight or so months into my tour, I had the opportunity to take R and R, rest and yeah. uh, recreation, and bless Grandma and Grandpa Elkins, they had uh, decided that uh, Hawaii was an option for me to go for R and R, and they would get you all and themselves to meet me in Hawaii for R and R. Yeah. And uh so that that picture is of uh Gotcha from nineteen sixty eight at the airport at Honolulu. Yeah. Mom's got a story about that too that <laughs> you know, there are stories all the way about these things when you're trying to have when families are trying to get together. Right. Okay, well before uh, we get to that, Mom, let me just ask you to kind of go back to Grandma Elkins because that seems kind of at the end of your story of the prayer and intercession time. Uh, you yeah. had last told us about the men's Bible study and uh, the teacher announcing it's Kenny Teal, a young officer in Vietnam. He's in trouble, and the prayers continued. And then you said later that night, Grandma Elkins, what can you tell us? Grandma Elkins, of course, was in prayer 24 hours a day for all this time, too. Yeah. And she um, she let me know that she had received a scripture, and it was, Joy shall come in the morning. Mm. Yeah. And it did at 2.15 a.m. <laughs> 2.15 Wednesday morning, Dad was safe. Yes. And, yes. And Psalm 35, Joy comes in the morning. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. All right. Um, uh, Mom, did you want to tell us the story that Dad is alluding to? I'm not sure exactly. Oh, that's just kind of a silly one. It'll be a okay. short one. Oh, good. Let's uh, have... He was supposed to come in on an early flight on such and such a day. And so rather than waking up the kids and getting them dressed and everything, my dad, your grandpa, took me down to the airport to meet, meet him. And yeah. so... All these soldiers came off and came off and came off and no daddy. Oh, and gosh. finally, my dad and I were standing there, and here came the chaplain and another guy with him that had a notebook and asked me who I was supposed to meet. Oh, and, of course, what's going through your heart is something happened to him, and yes. he's not coming to Hawaii. 
And he said, uh, took Dad's name and all that kind of stuff down. And then when they looked through the book, he, well, he wasn't able to get on that slide. He'll be in this afternoon at 4.30 or something. Oh, gosh. So I knew that I still had a chance to be have my reunion with him. And so that's when you kids went with me and Grandma and Grandpa uh-huh. down to meet Daddy is that picture. Oh, man. Okay. That's, wow. <laughs> and I guess my point on yeah. all this is yeah. uh, I tell everybody that we understand when one serves, the whole family serves. And uh, really, you all go through an awful lot of stuff, and uh, we're just grateful for the families that serve alongside the men and women in all of our armed forces. Yeah, that's that's beautiful, Dad. Thank you. And, Dad, uh, maybe to um, close out Mom and Dad, if you want to tell us, um, obviously uh, so tragic for Joe, um, but there's more to the story in terms of this connection that you all have made um, with his daughter, Lauren. Can you tell us about that? Well, I... Mom, you, Mom, you and tell. and you were part of that. Oh yeah, you were the you were the first link. She <laughs> found you on Facebook right. and messaged you. Did your dad serve in Vietnam? And so, see, the whole family does serve. <laughs> right. I don't know why she couldn't find us on Facebook, but she couldn't. She found you. So thanks, Steve. <laughs> yeah, this was uh, and and I want to say. I know I've learned later from Bill Jankowski that just as everybody in the States was praying crazily, yes, uh, he asked me when we got to visit last year, he came through Amarillo, and he said, were you praying that night? And I said, oh, yes, I was. And he said, I was too. He said mm. he had uh, a mission on Easter morning, and he'll tell you about this was a month before this, where... Yeah. He'd been at his chapel at Da Nang before flying a mission on Easter morning, but it had really hit him then uh, when we were on the riverbank that he was praying just as hard as I was that we wanted to get back home to families. And I don't doubt at all that Steve Nahe was praying and that Joe Berkson was praying and that people... But as you said, uh, God doesn't always answer those prayers affirmatively. It did for... Bill and Steve and me, but not for Joe. And so it was three years ago, Lauren was 10 months old when her dad was killed in Vietnam, and so she didn't even have the memories that you had. Right. And uh, she became connected with a group that's called Sons and Daughters in Touch. These are children whose moms or dads, their names are on the granite wall, the black granite wall at Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C., and they meet, typically, I think it's on Memorial Day, and three years ago, one of her friends that she'd encountered in Sons and Daughters, they touched their moms and dads' names on on the wall, yeah, and they support one another, and they remember, and they are great supporters. And she asked uh, Lauren what she knew about her dad, and she said, I really didn't know anything. Yeah. You know the guys that served with him? She said, well, I really don't. And the woman said, you really need to track them down because those guys are getting old, and they're not going to be around for a mm. lot longer. And so it was then that jo- uh, Lauren got motivated to begin trying to track those of us that she'd seen names 
she'd done some exploration and had found some amazing resources through Vietnam archives and had found names attached to after-action reports and began in the process, I want to talk to these people. And that's when she reached out to you and you messaged and asked and I said, of course. And that then Mom and I had a beautiful, beautiful, heart-wrenching telephone conversation with Lauren and began a communication where she could send some of his military records are kind of hard to decipher. And so I was able to tell her what he had done even before the time that he had joined our advisory team and could give her some insights into what a terrific soldier and what a what a, what a great friend he was and what a brave soldier he had been. And then Lauren, two years ago, your mom and I got to meet her in person. Now, that may be a photo yeah, there that is a uh, the would have up because picked up on that. Lauren had been the real, she's been so active not only in Sons and Daughters in Touch, but in Gold Star Families and in support of Wounded Warriors. Everybody from Joe's Vietnam area all the way up through the Gulf War in Afghanistan in supporting families that have lost uh, service members. And she had learned of uh, Gold Star Family memorial monuments that were being built around the country. And the impetus had come for that uh, from... He was now the last surviving Medal of Honor winner, winner from World War II, uh, Herschel Woody Williams, who found he won the Medal of Honor, Congressional Medal of Honor, for his service in Iwo Jima as a young guy operating a flamethrower and rooting out Japanese out of bunkers during the Battle of Iwo Jima. And he was awarded the Medal of Honor and then... Years later, actually, I think I was looking it up that in 2010, he formed a, a Woody Williams uh, Medal of Honor Education Foundation that was dedicated to uh, honor Gold Star families. And he and his, I guess his grandsons had maybe helped him design a particular memorial that a local communities can arrange the funding, the placement and all. Woody and his grandsons travel around the United States to attend groundbreaking, dedication ceremonies, and really encourage the honoring of Gold Star families. And so Mom and I learned that uh, Lauren was, she was working with the city of West Palm Beach, Florida, to find the appropriate place, a beautiful park in downtown West Palm Beach, to raise the money to get corporations and uh, individuals and others and organizations to fund this great memorial. And so it was in September of two years ago that Mom and I got to travel to West Palm Beach and to meet mm. Lauren in person and uh, her husband and family from Texas that had joined to help in this remembrance of her dad and other Gold Star families and their losses. And uh, Lauren, one of the things that impresses me so much is, you know, a lot of people, 
you have a loss, and the loss is what dominates, and Lauren is one that just shows you the great resilience and mm. courage of people that will uh, overcome loss by building on the strengths that they have mm. and uh, help others and support others. Yeah. And so I'm just really, uh, Mom and I both are just so proud of Lauren and what she's accomplished and thankful that her husband, Mark, so supportive of all of her efforts to uh, do that now, not just West Palm Beach, but throughout the state of Florida. And uh, She's amazing. Yeah, she is really, really amazing. Amazing. Well, that's... Well, thank you so much for sharing that as well as part of the story. Um, we're about to to close down this episode, but uh, I just want to ask you, either either of you, both of you, if there's something else you just feel uh, you need to say. Prayer works. Prayer works. Yeah. Yeah. Prayer works, and we're just so grateful for uh, the men and women who serve, for the families that serve behind them, for the people that uh, I just say our country is so blessed by the families that develop such incredible young men and women who are willing to serve to defend freedom, that will serve and protect the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And we are very, very grateful for that. Yeah. Well, that is uh, well well put. Thank you, Mom and Dad, so much for sharing this story that's impacted my life and many others and needs to impact some others. And today what I want to ask you is who do you need to pray for? Um, prayer works. Prayer makes a difference if God is involving us. So sometimes we just need to stop and say, all right, who do I need to pray for? And maybe it is for a military family. Maybe it is for somebody serving in the military Um Maybe it's just maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's somebody who is suffering from PTSD because they served our country. Maybe it's I, I don't know. I wanna I, I know who God is putting on my heart and mind and I don't know what God is putting on yours in your spirit, but I do think if you'll just stop and pause and say, Okay, God, I know prayer matters. We talk about that as Christians all the time, but we don't always act as if it matters. Well, it matters. And it matters in my life, and it matters in yours. So I'm praying that God reveals to you someone that you need to be praying for, and it's an honor and a blessing. Just imagine that. For me, it's uh, this may not be for you, but for me, it's being in a boxing ring and being in the corner and just praying for somebody that's in the middle. And maybe it is a military sort of situation, but maybe it's just a spiritual fight that they're going through a struggle and they're in the middle of the ring and they're, they're fighting, they're fighting against the lies of the enemy. They're fighting and you're in the corner and you're praying and you're, you're with them and you're for them. And when they get a break and they come to that corner, you get to encourage them and love them and tell them they're fighting the good fight. They're fighting the good fight of faith, but you keep interceding and praying. That's what God has called us to do. What a beautiful gift that he would allow us. He could just be the God who says, no, I've got this. I'm going to do what I want to do. He includes us, the people that he loves, as part of his plan, as part of his mission. So who do you need to be praying for today? We close this show. You can share with me if God has spoken to you about someone that you need to pray for that you already have been praying for. I know we got prayer warriors out there, and you're like, Steve, I've been praying for this person and that person. 
you can email me, steve at verybold.com, and I'll join you in that prayer. And I'll keep praying for that one that God has put on my heart. Then I see another and another, and I just keep praying for them. So this is how we close. Uh, and I just want to say, hey, love you, Mom and Dad. You're everybody's favorite people. That's why I had the marksman put your picture up right away because everybody loves Mom and Dad, Ken and Barb Teal, the real Ken and Barbie. And uh, we love we love you, too. I love you so much. And just thank you for who you are to so many people and who you are in the kingdom of God and who you are in my life. Um, just incredible, incredible people. I want to just tell you that uh, we have a great hope and we have a great and mighty God who is intricately involved with us and using us. And we want to just remember that hope. It's real. I don't know what your story is, what your testimony is, but I know you've got one. And if you've forgotten it, it's time to remember what God has done in your life. Instead of thinking about the things that we think he hasn't done, it's time to focus and say, what about the things he has done? Remember those things today. The Apostle Paul, that's what he was all about every day, remembering that. He said this in 2 Corinthians 3.12. It's why this podcast is called Very Bold Radio and Podcast. It's why this ministry is called Very Bold Ministries. He said this, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.